Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app, and please be sure to follow Joe and I on social media. You can find us at either Frontline TV or the Frontline with Joe and Joe, primarily on Facebook and YouTube, uh, but we're on Gab and others, so you definitely can find us there. And today we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Sister Virginia Joy of the Sisters of Life. And for those of you, we'll talk about the Sisters of Life with Sister Virginia Joy, but I want to give Sister a brief introduction to our audience. Uh, Sister Virginia Joy was raised in Greenville, South Carolina. She earned a bachelor's degree in business administration from Franciscan University. Before entering the Sisters of Life in 2009, she worked at Trinity Teen Solutions, a Catholic ranch for troubled teens as a guidance counselor and a soccer coach at St. Joseph's Catholic School in Greenville. She currently serves in Manhattan as the director of the Respect Life Office for the Archdiocese of New York. And she also served in the community visitation mission, working with vulnerable pregnant women in need and the vocations mission. Sister Virginia Joy, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Great to be with you, Joe Thank and you. Joe. I'm so glad. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. Sister, would you lead us in prayer before we get into the conversation? Absolutely. All right. In the name of the Father, Son. the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gift of life. Um, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit to lead and guide this conversation, open the hearts and minds of all those who, who are listening, uh, to receive whatever it is that you desire to give them, every grace and blessing. We entrust this time um, to the Blessed Mother for her protection as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is Lord with is thee. With blessed, blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Joseph, pray, pray, for, pray us. for us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. So, Sister, before we get into the conversation regarding the Sisters of Life and some of the work that you do through the tri-state area, could you tell us a little bit about your journey? I mean, gosh, you go from Greenville, South Carolina to the middle of New York City. That's quite a jump, <laughs> but uh, I, I'd be interested in hearing it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I we, we all have a sisters, you know, kind of our versions of, of our vocation story, the long, drawn-out version and a, and a shorter piece. So I'll kind of give you a, uh, a trailer pitch of, <laughs> of, of what happened. But um, yeah, so I grew up in the South. Um, I've lost my accent, you can hear, and uh, um, in the Protestant South and, and kind of grew up knowing my faith was important, but it was also just kind of one aspect of my life. And um, I really had a profound experience when I was in um, high school, my senior year going on to college. And I had, I kind of, I felt like, you know, the world was at my fingertips. I, I wanted a, the ultimate college experience, studying abroad, playing soccer, all these things. And um, I visited 12 schools. I had my poor parents worried. And um, I went, I had, none of them were Catholic, um, but my grandparents were really involved at Franciscan University. And so they asked me, you know, to go visit. <clears throat> And I really just had a, a powerful experience there, never had been exposed to adoration. Um, I can remember very clearly going into the chapel at Franciscan and they were having what they call a festival of praise. So um, adoration, music, I had never seen anything like it. I had never seen young people practicing their faith and was really blown away. And um, I remember I wouldn't even commit to a pew. I just kind of stood in the back against the wall. And I, I sort of said, to the Lord, not really thinking of it as a prayer, but I remember saying, I do not know you like these people know you, Lord, you know, and like in an instant, I had this experience of, of being known, of really personally being known. And 
and that was kind of my first real like encounter, you know, that, that, that God was, um, yeah, so invested in me in my life. And I remember all of a sudden my college, you know, selection, you know, no longer was about, um, studying abroad or sports, or, I mean, even, even an academic particular program, it was a decision in my life. I, I recognized that God, I was either going to choose God's way, um, and, and imagine that his plan for my life was something entirely different, or I wasn't, it became just like, I had, I had two choices. God was going to be a part of my life or he wasn't. And, um, so spoiler alert, you know, the, the final decision, um, I did go to Steubenville and yeah, had an amazing experience and, but still religious life was very far from my, um, my thought. And so sort of fast forward, all I worked in Los Angeles, I worked in LA and, um, fast forward, I was back in South Carolina working as a high school counselor, soccer coach, and, um, I was at mass and. Uh, I'd always been taught that that most powerful moment of the mass, it, you know, is the consecration is Jesus uh, truly comes body, soul, uh, blood and divinity. And he, he, uh, when the priest elevates the hosts, you know, he consecrates this, the host and it's like heaven and earth are meeting. Jesus becomes truly present. And that, that kind of moment is when you can give all the desires of your heart to the Lord, this moment of prayer, when the priest elevates Jesus truly present. And um, it had always been kind of an intense time of prayer for me, you know, so like you, you usually only have a couple seconds to kind of get all the desires of your heart out. <laughs> and um, in that moment of prayer, I prayed for, uh, I had my sort of normal litany, you know, I prayed for my, my family, for my, my students, for everything that kind of came up in my heart. And I remember that this particular Sunday, the priest left our Lord elevated longer. And I say, I had time to like freestyle my normal prayer. And as I'm praying the desires in my heart, I prayed for my religious vocation. And I was so shocked because it really didn't feel like it came from me. And I remember just being so blown away, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that I, I, you know, if you've ever had a moment where you, you think God might be speaking to you, I, I remember saying, oh, you're so dramatic, like that couldn't have, that couldn't have been real, but there was, there was such a truth in it. And I felt like I'd be denying myself if I didn't at least look into it. <clears throat> so I had this moment of prayer in the mass, this moment of kind of almost an insight from the, from the depths of my heart that the Lord had placed there for religious life. And, and, and I, I kind of didn't know where to start. I remember thinking, well, I don't know any religious. I'm here in the South. There aren't really religious down here. And a good friend said to me, she says, if you're being faithful, God will work with whatever he will work with what's right in front of you. And I thought, okay, I, I can, I'm faithful, you know, I'm, I'm faithful to the sacraments. And, and literally within two weeks, um, I met someone who was entering the sisters of life and, and that kind of began my introduction to them. And <clears throat> so fast forward from that time of mass to two years later, I was on retreat with the sisters and I received really a confirming grace in adoration um, where I had, I had spent those two years kind of discerning. I don't know what you want, Lord. I, I don't, I, I can't, I, I need to know in my heart and, and I want to desire it. I've always wanted marriage. How could this be what you're offering me religious life? Um, I got to the point where I could see religious life is desirable, but so was married life. So it was like, then I felt torn and my heart was divided. And in this time of retreat, um, sort of finally, it was like the last day of retreat and I was before the blessed sacrament and adoration. And I just kind of said to the Lord, you know, what do you want? And with the ears of my heart, um, I heard probably more clearly than I've heard him before, you, all of you for myself. And in that instant, it's like, my heart was undivided. I was like, yes, yes, yes. You know, and I, I just knew that, 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 um, he was calling me to religious life and yet it was my choice. Like, um, I had to choose it too. You know, he was offering it to me, but, um, I was free to choose or kind of decline. And, um, yeah. So what a grace. So that's probably longer than I intended to. to, oh, to no, that's right. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. And I, I especially, um, cause Joe especially likes to always talk about the need and the importance of adoration and mm. you've got your answer, your, your, your journey, 
involves that time in front of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, mm -hmm. asking him, asking yeah. him, that we go there to ask him, what would you like for me to do? I think it, it's just... I, it's phenomenal, I, you know, and it's it's a it's a great great story, really is. The thing I want to touch upon, which which I could relate to, was you in the back of the church, looking from the outside in. I could relate to that. Yeah, because like I think there are a lot of people who are Catholic, like you said, you were Catholic. You know, you pray. I mean, I was that same person. Um, but what I find interesting is there are caverns. I know John of the Cross uh, yeah. talks about that, that we're not even aware of. Mm -hmm. That if we put ourselves in front of God, he's aware of them, and then they become uncovered. And that's mm -hmm. what happened. Like, you know, you, you go to the point when you were in high school, probably no one in a million years would have thought you would be a nun. Probably no. you wouldn't either. No. Same with me. Like, I'm not a nun, obviously, but I'm doing this, you know, and I can't even believe it. And yeah. I, you know, here I am, I'm married. I have four kids. I have another one on the way. I can't even believe it. I can't even believe it. So the point is the caverns that are in each of us. I sometimes look at people who are clearly more gifted than I am. I'm a very normal person. I'm not extraordinary by any means, and I'm never going to pretend like I am. If they would only allow God to reveal those caverns and the greatness that would be revealed through them, mm -hmm. because they're there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually believe that's one of the things when we die, God will show if we don't basically, you know, follow his will, you could say you could have done that. Could right. you talk a little bit about that? Well, that's no, that's so powerful. Joe. I mean, I, it makes me think of two things. One, a story of St. Francis, which you're probably familiar with, but it's my favorite story of St. Francis, you know, even in his lifetime, right? He was renowned as this deep man of prayer. And um, he was staying with the nobleman, Bernardino at the time. And Bernardino um, said, I, am, I'm, I want to see how this man prays. And he knew Francis would pray through the night. So they both sort of retired for the evening. And Francis thought Bernardino was asleep. Bernardino thought Francis thought he was asleep. And he follows, Bernard, uh, Bernardino follows Francis down to the chapel and he finds him there before the Blessed Sacrament um, all night long. And he's just praying over and over again, who are you, God, and who am I? who are you most sweet God and who am I over and over again. And like, yeah, there's such a desire to discover, right? I mean, everything in pop culture is like, you know, self-discovery come to know, you know, who you are. And yet the only and the deepest and the most satisfying and the answer is found in, in Jesus. Like he created you with this unbelievable plan for greatness, as you said, and, and it's only he can really, who can reveal the depths of that to us. And I, um, again, I think, I think if you say nothing more than that, when you're in prayer, this idea of who are you, God, I need to know who you are in order to know who I, who I am, who are you, God, and who am I, you know, who have you created me to be? Um, so that is one. And the second one is there's a, um, something I read, um, by one of these, one of the priests, I, I'm forgetting his name, but essentially like the desires that Jesus has placed in our heart, that God, that the Holy Trinity has placed in our hearts, these desires, like what we're called for, this sort of greatness you speak of, um, that if the desires of every human heart, like these desires that God himself has placed there, if they were to come forward, like if we were to fulfill them, like pursue them, then the glory of God would explode among us. That's like the quote. You think of a Mother Teresa, the desires of her heart um, to quench Jesus's thirst, like to, um, to, to, to serve the poorest of the poor. If she had not followed what God was, had placed in her heart, um, think about how, 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 you know, yeah, what a sorrow that would have been for the entire world. Um, and it's, it's these sort of desires God's placed in each of our hearts that if, if we followed them, I mean, the glory of God would just be, every, you know, just be everywhere amongst mm -hmm. us. Um, so I love that. It's, it's funny, uh, sister, when you think you mentioned St. Francis of Assisi in prayer, there's a reason why even, even someone like, you know, uh, like Lenin, like Vladimir Lenin said, if I had 10 men like Francis of Assisi, I would have changed the world. 
Yeah. Uh, he's coming from a different point of view, but right. we understand <laughs> the greatness of St. Francis um, in light of what you guys were just talking about. His, mm -hmm. his, his, what did Jesus say? Ask and it will be answered. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's what Francis did. Lord, who are you and who am I? And he got mm -hmm. his answer. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why here's a saint that we still talk about 800 years later because what he did was so great. Let's talk about the great things that the Sisters of Life were doing. And it is greatness. It is to the, for God's glory, not your yeah. own. Right? One thing I know about the Sisters of Life, one thing Joe knows is that, and, and the thing that impresses us as lay people is your humility. All of you, all right, because we've been around all of you a number of times. Um, and and you you go out there, you have a mission, you fulfill that mission, and you 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 pray that God guides you the whole way. Talk, first of all, introduce the Sisters of Life to our okay. audience. And then, uh, and yeah, talk about you know, how you were founded, and, uh, and some of the activities that, that you're doing. Okay, sure, yeah. Um, so we, you know, I always joke that, you know, the, the Franciscans and the Dominicans, as we said, you know, they've got this 850 year or, or more um, uh, history and that the Sisters of Life, we date all the way back to the 90s. <laughs> nice. you know, we're, we're, we're 30 years this year. We were founded here in New York in uh, 1991 and our founder was John Cardinal O'Connor. and every religious community has what's called a charism. Um, so this charism is a gift of the Holy Spirit given um, to, to build up the church and to meet a particular need of our time. And so ours is called um, the charism of life. And really Cardinal O'Connor who founded us, he received this charism, this gift of the Holy Spirit um, and what he would describe really as two occasions. Uh, the first was in, we, we believe it was right in like the sort of the late 70s. Um, um, he was making a retreat near Dachau, the concentration camp in Germany. And they've since, since the Holocaust, they've built a Carmelite monastery right next to that concentration camp as a place of prayer and reparation. So he was on retreat there. And he he made a visit to the, to the concentration camp Dachau. And as he's walking the ground, sort of, you know, this is very sobering. Um, sort of praying. <clears throat> he said he went to the place of the, the gas chambers and he placed his hands inside the crematorium ovens. And he described what, what he even called almost a mystical experience. He said he felt the intermingled ashes of Jew and Christian, of rabbi, priest, and minister. And he was, he was like pierced to the heart. He was overwhelmed. Um, and he, he says, he, he recalls that he called out to God and said, good God, how could human beings do this to one another? And he was so overcome by this, this reality, um, that he, he said he made a, a promise at that moment to, to God that he would do anything and everything in his power, um, to protect the sacredness of human life. He recognized that still, um, there was a contempt for human life. Um, and, and so he did. He came back to the for the Catholic Church and very outspoken. He would preach from St. Patrick's Cathedral over and over again. Any woman, anywhere of any background, any faith background who is pregnant and in need can come to me, can come to the archdiocese. We will take care of you. And... Um, he recognized there was there was phenomenal work being done in the pro-life movement, such great people, such great movements, but he knew something was missing. And he, he would say he took this to prayer. He was praying with the gospel of Mark chapter nine and where Jesus has sent the disciples to like heal the sick, cast out demons. And there's one particular demon that they can't cast out. And so Jesus himself casts that demon out. And as they're leaving, the disciples say to him, you know, Lord, why is it that we couldn't do that? Why couldn't we cast the demon out? And he said, because um, that demon could only be driven out by prayer and fasting. And Cardinal O'Connor would say that was the second grace. Um, and he knew it wasn't just for himself personally, but it was for the entire church. He recognized contempt for human life truly as a demon that could only be driven out by prayer and fasting. And he, he would say he knew he was, he was being asked to found a community of religious women who would lay down their lives, lay down their own wounds in a way um, so that others might have life and that they would give themselves totally in consecration to the Lord and in prayer. And 
he would tease us because he had been in the military, military chaplain for 30 years. And he would say, the last thing I wanted to do was start a community of religious women, you know? <laughs> uh, um, but so those were the sort of the two founding. And he actually began it by a publication here in, the, in New York. Uh, I don't know if you, you guys know this detail, but he, he um, had a, had a, I think a weekly column. This was in the 80s. Wanted Sisters of Life. And he began, it got picked up. You know, this is before the internet. It got picked up by papers across the country. And women started to write him. And he began hosting retreats um, and, and kind of slowly articulating what he felt he received in the charism. And then on June 1st, 1980, or excuse me, June 1st, 1991, um, it'll be 30 years this June, he, eight women entered the Sisters of Life. So there were eight women then, and there's, uh, it's 20, 30 years later, there's about 122 of us. Um, so, uh, that's, that's, that's so great. You're listening yeah. to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Restinello, and we are way in the breach with Sister Virginia Joy of the Sisters of Life. So continue, Sister. I, I, it's just a phenomenal story because, um, I know that your your the sisters of life are are, are now in, in many many places. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. but I'm assuming you started in New York. That's um, right. And uh, my wife was telling me recently uh, that you guys uh, actually have now a uh, a presence in Arizona. Um, yeah, that's right. We're opening it up. Yep. Opening that up, Denver. I remember a couple of years ago, my wife went out to Denver. My wife and I went out to Denver to visit a couple of friends, and we saw the sisters out there. Yeah. And one thing that struck me is that you know you talk about. Cardinal O'Connor, right? Mm -hmm. I know, and I was very impressed by this because uh, I, I thought it was something that, that I had never heard of, all right? The Bishop uh, Aquila in Denver, all right? Now, this okay. is a couple of years ago. One of the things that he would do with the Sisters of Life, um, because the sisters are diagonally across from a Planned Parenthood, and, you know, this is to show the people out there that how Catholics do things, okay? Because we're peaceful and we're prayerful. The Bishop went out, and they had a Jericho rosary. So they, okay, they, they yeah. actually go around the Planned Parenthood, process around the Planned Parenthood seven times while praying the rosary, led by the bishop and, of course, with the Sisters of Life. So, I mean, that witness alone is enough to move hearts, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I'll, I'll leave that there, but just I, I'm so happy. I want the audience to know that, yes, you mentioned you've grown to well over 100 and the Sisters of Life are all over the country. Let's talk a little bit about the type of uh, young women that are entering your order, sister. And okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna phrase it this way to people who may not know the sisters of life. You guys are totally normal. What I mean by that is you're relatable. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like people have, and I say that in this way because I think people have an image in their mind of religious. Like you know, sure. like I could see you. I went to the University of Scranton. Um, you're around okay. my age. I could see you on that campus. Like, mm. I didn't know you, obviously, in South Carolina, but you're someone who was probably just like myself. You're a normal person living a college life, and then you just were called by God and became a nun. <laughs> you know, like, like, and I think a lot of the sisters that I've met are just like that. They're very relatable. Um, tell us a little bit about that, because I think that's important, because I break stereotypes of the way people in their mind, particularly people who aren't Catholic, think of what a nun is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, and I think, too, it has so much to do, yeah, with how we kind of grew up. So did we have an experience of religious or not? I certainly didn't. Um, obviously, we, we would all have an experience in the Catholic Church of priests, you know, who were an influence in our lives, thanks be to God. Um, but, but religious, depending on your age, yeah, like, you know, um, our parents had much more of an experience with religious. And um, I think it's been very, very encouraging. I mean, when I worked, I worked in our vocations office for three years, and it's amazing to see the women who contact us and you would almost maybe I even thought like they'd all come from at least Catholic universities or they'd come from you know these homeschooling families or something but we we got women from I mean Ivy League to state schools to Catholic schools uh, I mean it's God God knows no limits right so he's um, he has not stopped calling and and I think some of the, and I don't think he ever stopped calling or will stop calling people to the priesthood and religious life. I think there's fewer and fewer people maybe who are living such a life where they are open to hearing the Lord. 
Um, but, but yeah, I, I think um, we had eight women enter last fall and that's kind of our average number between eight and 15 a year enter. And um, um, yeah, so I think it's just a great privilege. I'm trying to think what might, what might be helpful. Uh, I think it's that key of, yeah, if you're staying in the state of grace, if you, if you go to mass, if you go to the sacraments of confession, if you're praying, you're not going to miss what God's asking of you. And if you, um, I think that's what's so important. And young people, I would often see who aren't, you know, who are really truly desired to do God's will um, would almost be afraid, like I'm going to somehow miss what he's calling me to. And that's what I, I felt like I was, I was putting a lot of people at ease kind of, you know what, keep asking you're, you know, he, he wants you to figure it out. He wants you to know he's, he's going to answer. Um, so I think, um, yeah, I think there's so much hope really in the church because I know our community, um, but there's several communities that are, that are getting, um, uh, women and men entering their, their, their religious communities, which I think is just a, a great sign of hope. Um, and, yeah, yeah, really moving, honestly, to see these men and women just willing um, at a young age, right out of college, um, you know, to give everything to the Lord. It's like, um, yeah, yeah, it's really, really remarkable. No, I want to touch on what you said. You have eight every year so that it's it's fruitful and I, i'm very like i've been involved in a number of orders your order the friars the franciscan friars of the renewal the missionaries of charity they're also fruitful and yeah. one of the takeaways that i've gotten from that is from scripture where it says like i am the vine and you are the branch if mm. you stay connected you will bear fruit Mm -hmm. uh, that has, you know, my thick Italian head. That's one of the things that <laughs> completely has sunk in because I know my way doesn't work. So right. I try to do things God's way, even if it goes against my reason. Right. And that is what I want to highlight about your order. All we have to do, and this is something I stress constantly, Catholic, being Catholic is painting by numbers. It's written down. Do it. <laughs> Do it. It's like Forrest Gump. You put that gun together so well, Gump. Because you told me to. <laughs> so you do it. And that's how I do I always it. think of Mother Mary, too. Like, like when she turns to the to the guests in Cano. What do you want us to do? Do what he tells you. Do what he tells you. I mean, it's, it's kind of... I know this bothers the modern sensibilities, okay? But it's kind of a simple way of getting through life. And believe me, life's not easy, we all know. But the best way to get through it is just to say, well, I'll do what he tells me. Joe always says on the show... I'm going to listen to the guy who was raised from the dead. Okay. When, when you are, <laughs> I'll listen to you. I might listen to you. But for now, um, and because I don't anticipate you're going to get raised from the dead anytime soon, I'm going to listen to him and I'm going to do what he tells me. But that's why your order grows. And I, I, I don't know why, again, I don't claim to be the smartest guy in, in, the, in the room, but like, I don't know why that doesn't click to people. All we have to do is to do what he says. Sister, we have a minute and a half before the break. Comment on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think I think people, and they want to give themselves kind of to the most extreme, to the man who rose from the dead. You know, I think they, they want to live as closely to him and follow that call that he says, come, follow me. You know, um, I think there's a part of us, yeah, that we want to give everything. You, you think of St. Therese, that, that like, she wanted to be a missionary, a martyr. She wanted it all. Like I choose all. And I think there, there's again, something that we were created for that um, is fulfilled in, in again, giving ourselves totally undividedly to the man who rose from the dead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it just strikes me. It's like you mentioned earlier about making a decision, you know, and you got to yeah. make, you know, it's like everybody says, well, how could you choose Jesus? My, my response to that was, how could you choose the world? But then, but, but, you know, because I, I consider myself and just like everybody else and knows I'm a, I'm a fallible, sinful human being, I have to ask him, what do you, you know, what do right. you want to do? And by the way, help me to make the decision. Right. Because, and, and it's not easy. And I think we're, we were kind of raised, especially in America, like to be independent. Well, that's actually contrary to like Christianity. Our disposition is to be dependent on the one, on Jesus. And, and so there is, there's definitely like, obviously I know we're, you know, I, I don't mean to speak lightly about it because it, it, there is a, a struggle in it for sure. Um, but, but he provides the grace again and again for us to depend on him. Let's leave it right there for a second, sister. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello. We're way in the breach with Sister Virginia Joy from the Sisters of Life. We're talking about her journey. We're talking about her order. We're going to give all of you some information where you can go 
to support the Sisters of Life. But stick around. We're on the Veritas Catholic Radio, uh, 1350 on your AM dial, serving the New York metropolitan area. We'll be right back. Catholic Radio works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello way in the breach with Sister Virginia Joy from the Sisters of Life. So I know Joe wanted to talk about the importance of prayer. I'm going to hand it over to him. Yes, yeah, Sister, your order, you're active, meaning like you're in the world. You're not a contemplative as in like locked away like prayer. I say that because prayer, though, is fundamental to what we do and to what you do. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about how all Catholics, whether they're in religious life or lay Catholics have to develop a prayer life because it's the fruit of that prayer life that God works. I think it's important to stress because I think people sometimes just assume that religious people, they pray and Catholic, you know, lay people, you just go to church and that's the end of it. Um, Could you talk about all things we do must come from prayer? Actually, I'm so glad you brought that up because I'm, I, I should have said this when I was talking about our history, but we're actually contemplative active. So we're actually, that's how we would title ourselves in terms of religion, like contemplative active. So yeah, we're not, we're not fully cloistered, um, and, but we're not um, any active community that has this contemplative side as well. So prayer is our primary work. So we pray about four hours, four to five hours a day. Um, and, and prayer is it's foundational and it's, it's relationship, you know, um, it's, it's relationship with God. And, um, and again, this, it's the source, it, kind of what you were saying, the vine and the branches, this, he is the source, um, by which we live, move and have our being right. Um, and, and, there's a continual, this side of heaven, there is going to be this continual longing, whatever, whatever vocation you're in, a, a longing, a restlessness at times. And that is truly, uh, it's almost as if when God created us, he, he created us with a string around our hearts. And for the rest of our lives, he's like drawing us in, drawing us in. And he draws us through those desires, that longing, that restlessness, and it's, it's a divine invitation to seek him. And we seek him in prayer, in relationship. Um, and right, there's, there's so many forms of prayer. Um, but ultimately, it's, it's this, um, it's, it's communion with God. It's this speaking to him. It's being present um, to the one who is always present to us, you know, um, even just lifting our minds um, to the one in whom our being is being held, you know, our existence, uh, as sisters of life, uh, so much of this charism of life, people kind of tag us as the pro-life nuns, which we are pro-life. Um, but it's, it's, it's this charism that everyone needs. Like I need to know that I in fact was chosen, um, for a reason and that my life has meaning and worth outside what the world dictates and that can only be um, really, really founded and grounded in this prayer and this relationship with Jesus. He is the one who tells me who I am. Um, so, Sister, I want to just talk a couple things about that because yeah. this is something that's really deep within me because yeah. I know who I am and I'm not holy, but God is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the missionaries of charity, Mother Teresa, they say, like, God is like, it's plugging the, the electric. It's plugging into the socket. Yeah. Like, yep. I also think of the mass where the, the priest at consecration says Christ is the fount of all holiness. Mm-hmm. It's something that also digs into my thick head. Another thing is John the Baptist. I must decrease and he must yes. increase. Very important. Maybe one of the most important things ever said in the Bible. One mm-hmm. of the most important. It's very, it resonated with me. It is through prayer that we tap into the source and like an athlete has to train you said you played soccer you don't mm-hmm. just win a game you right, do right. drills you have to do things you have to develop 
a prayer life and you mentioned fasting you know, mm-hmm. the times are dark, you know, up your game. My wife and I fast every Wednesday for the church and every Friday because Christ died on Friday. That's it's right. upped my prayer life. I feel it. Mm-hmm. Rosary, like, and anyone can do this mm-hmm. because if you do, you'll tap into one of those caverns. It's prayer without it. I always, when I used to teach RCIA, I used to say this, even God can't fill up a glass of water with milk if it's filled to the top with water. You gotta dump the water out and then he fills it with milk. The water is me, I gotta dump it. And I do that through prayer. And little by little, I lose myself and mm-hmm. God takes over. Right. And that's where the magic happens. <laughs> and that's <laughs> and, and, and that's because I'm not the magic. Sister, let's segue from that into some some of the work that the sisters do because obviously you're you're dealing with some challenging situations. Okay. Sure. You're at the you're we're not just saying you are on the the front lines of the pro-life movement. Um I wish more people would know about you. That's why we're having this interview, because we want people to know what you do. So you need prayer, okay, as we all do, but you deal with some real challenges. Let's talk first of all about the sister's mission in regards to um, saving children from abortions, all right, and and, and how you go about uh, trying to do that. And then go from there, sister, if you would, to unfortunately, when a woman has had an abortion, I'd love for you to dispel this idea, please, um, and answer the culture that when we say, we only care about the unborn children, we don't care about the women, because that's a lie also. We had on Chris Bell and oh, Teresa sure. Bonapartis, okay, who, just blow that idea right out of the water. So comment on that, please. On the one hand, saving the babies, and on the other hand, unfortunately, after a woman has had an abortion, um, you know, um, serving that woman as, sure. as, as she needs to be. Absolutely. Well, and you both have worked with us, so it, it's it's neat to be talking with you because um, you have such an understanding of our mission, having been with us as coworkers. Um, so first, even even as it relates to prayer, right? Because it, it is all founded in that. Um, we call our mission to pregnant women visitation because of um, and in honor of Our Lady, right? What happens? She receives Christ in her womb at the Annunciation and she goes in haste to help the women who are, she goes in haste to help Elizabeth, her cousin who's, who's pregnant. So we, as, as sisters, we say we receive Christ daily in adoration in the Eucharist in prayer and we go in haste so to speak, to help the women who are pregnant and in need. And um, so that's kind of like really the the basis, you know, we receive Christ and we then carry him to those um, who are also with, with children. And, um, you know, one thing I, we always, I always want to talk about is, is the fact that these women who are facing abortion or are contemplating abortion or thinking about abortion are doing it out of fear, you know, Um, fear, fear of the unknown, fear that they won't be able to, you know, scrape together rent, fear that they won't finish school, fear that the people in their lives that they love most will reject them, fear that the father of the baby will reject them, whoever it is. So it's all these these fears. And um, when we live in fear, we're, we're paralyzed. We let them kind of control us. We're not free. And so we see our role in large part is kind of like we, we receive her um, and these women who come to us and we, we help to alleviate what the fears are. And we, we often say, we just let her empty the bucket. Just let her talk. Let her get it all out. And then um, we can say, well, you know, if, if this was removed or if we could get you into a school, you know, that had a dorm for pregnant women or whatever, um, what would you want to choose? And inevitably, you know, women want to give life to the children that they carry. And um, society kind of pits the mother versus the baby when that doesn't have to be that way. You know, it should never be that way. Like, why can't they both thrive? Um, and so, so our, we're really, really privileged to walk with these women who are pregnant and in need. And what we do is we, we often say, kind of as we've been talking about this, this need to know first and foremost, our own worth and dignity. How can I recognize and respect or reverence another if I don't know it for myself? And so much of what we do for this woman is really, we call it kind of delighting in her, you know, like we just delight in who she is. You know, when we ask God, God who has created this woman before me to move my heart 
by the goodness that is in her. He has created her with goodness and with purpose and with a plan. And I allow myself really to be moved by the Holy Spirit by her and hope and pray that I can reflect back to her this goodness that I see in her so that she can come to know it about herself and, and recognize her own worth and dignity. And in so doing, then recognize the, the tremendous gift of this life that's been entrusted to her. Um, so it's powerful to see um, literally women coming to life. I mean, it's, it's like, it's stunning, you know? Um, and and um, so we, we work with these women who are pregnant and need, we serve about 800 women a year here in the New York area. And some of them come and live with us. So actually where I live, um, women who are pregnant will live with us. Um, and then as you kind of said, on the flip side of serving women who are pregnant, um, we have a whole other group of sisters who serve um, women and men who have suffered from an abortion, um, who are suffering the effects of abortion. Um, and that's a full-time mission of what we call our hope and healing mission. And, and we've had priests who work with us who will say, you know, sisters, that's your, that is your most powerful mission. And it's only powerful um, because Jesus is, is so powerful. And, and talk about raising people from the dead. Um, Jesus truly, yeah, he brings new life. He makes all things new. And there's just countless stories of, um, we've, had, we've had women who had planned their own suicide. Um, I, we had one woman who was older, whose children, she had other children were grown. And she literally was cleaning up the house so that her children didn't have to take care of it once she had planned this, this suicide. And as she's cleaning up her house, she came across a bulletin um, that she had saved and put away that had our ad in it for hope and healing after an abortion. And she read this as she's cleaning up the house and she thought, okay, maybe, maybe this is like my last ditch effort. And she called us, this was like more than 20 years ago. She called us, um, literally came to new life. She worked with us almost full time for more than 12 years. She was older. Um, she has since died and she was in the hospital um, dying. She had, she had a, a specific um, illness and the sisters were surrounding her uh, with her own children um, as we were able to sort of then walk her towards and closer to eternal life. Um, so yeah, just, just tremendous. Uh, that's such a, that's such a moving and powerful story. Yeah. I, I, I'm literally like, like welling up over here because yeah. that's, that's the type of thing See, and that's why we wanted to have you on the show so much, sister, because that's the type of, of breaking those stereotypes, not just about, let's say, the church and priests, just in general, the way people view what it is when we talk about being pro-life. That was an example. That woman was going to kill herself, mm -hmm. but she reached out to you and then she was able to not only to not kill herself, but she was shown love that maybe she didn't even show for herself. Right. But you showed it to her. And and she 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 died in the sacraments, you know, and mm -hmm. and, and and went to heaven. Quite frankly, right. You know, and, and it's it's that type of thing that we need that, that that you know to to broadcast to the world. No, we're pro life in every sense. Okay, mm -hmm. and I love the fact that also that you know when you say that you 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 service women and men. Okay, and help them. You know, post abortive. Right. Okay? Um, because it shows also that, you know, this, this charge always against Catholics, you people are so judgmental. Mm -hmm. You're so, well, if we were so judgmental and so condemning, then why would we do that? That's not the case. And you mm -hmm. exemplify that. You guys mm -hmm. live that in your order. I think it's so important for people to know that. We're at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello. We are way in the breach with Sister Virginia Joy from the Sisters of Life having a great conversation. Joe, I'm going to hand it over to you. But you talk about people who've been wounded. I mean, again, yeah. I want to break this stereotype with the church. I mean, people could be listening to us, be like, who are these two holy roller guys? And you're <laughs> talking to this nun. Like, I can't relate to these people. No, no. You know, God comes for sinners. You know, this is one thing why I love your order and I love you and I love, you know, sisters. Like, we're not holier than thou. We're normal. We're normal people. You know, God came for sinners. The church is a hospital for sinners. And that's why he came, you know, and, and to relate to somebody just like, listen, I'm not perfect and neither are you, but we have one thing in common. 
We need to be healed because we're all sinners. I think that is something that people can relate to, you know, like, because you're talking about a deep wound that that woman had. There are many people that have deep, deep wounds that they bury. And some of them are very successful people. They're on the surface. Oh, life is great. Everybody's great. No, it's not. You know what I mean? Talk Mm -hmm. about that. Because I mean, like, I can't stress, I think that's what attracts people in. You know, sometimes they think, again, the stereotype of a nun, like, all I do is talk to like, you know, the perfect people. No, no, we don't talk. No one's perfect. I'm not perfect. You know what I mean? We have to bring those people in, sister. I think um, one scripture that comes to mind that our Cardinal O'Connor used to always reference was, you know, after the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, Jesus said, um, pick up the pieces lest they be lost. Like that, and our founder would always say, like Jesus could not bear to see any anything lost, more so than anything, he couldn't bear to see anyone lost. And he would say, our job as Sisters of Life is to pick up the pieces of broken lives, of lives that are wounded, um, shattered, uh, hurt, and um, yeah, and I, I think that image of Jesus, like he can't bear to see any of us lost. You know, he desires like wholeness for all of us. And um, yeah, I think what you touch on um, often, I think people aren't even aware sometimes of their own, like, yeah, what, what they're lacking. You know, they've so, you know, in a way what you said, they've so filled themselves, right? Um, with other things, or they continue in pursuit of this fulfilling, you know, okay, well, if I, if I get that promotion, if I get that right, we all have that. If I, if, well, once that happens, then I'll be happier. If I have that, then I've achieved something or, and, and it's never enough. Like we, we will never get there. Um, but I think people kind of, kind of do live in that realm. And we've had, we've had people like that kind of experience around us as sisters of life, they can't even name it, but they like feel good around us, you know, and they, it's so fascinating because it's only the work of the Holy Spirit and Jesus's presence, you know, that that's what's kind of drawing them to us. Um, we have people, you know, maybe who would even volunteer with us who, who aren't Catholic, who certainly aren't practicing the faith, but there's something that's drawing us and it takes them some time to recognize, you know, that the one who's drawing them is, is the one who made them, who created them. And so I think you're right. I think there needs to be like, first of all, just an openness of heart, um, kind of an openness to like, God, have your way with me, you know, like, um, again, this opening of who are you and who am I, um, so that we might kind of discover more and more, but it, it does, it requires an openness of heart and it requires faith because we are, we are so like stuck, um, in what we think, is, is, is the way to happiness and to fulfillment. And, um, and it's, it's, it's totally other. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, uh, it, Joe, or it definitely does. Didn't Augustine say that Lord, my heart is restless until it, until rests, it rests in, in you. And yeah. then, as far as faith is concerned, well, people say, well, you have faith. Yeah. But it's, as you said, sister, well, if I think that that promotion is going to, is going to make me happy, or if I get a 50% bump in salary, I'm having faith that that's going to happen. Right. It hasn't happened yet. Then you get there and you find, okay, that's kind of like, not, not, not what I was thinking it was going to be. Let me have faith that if I keep moving forward, it all requires faith. With Jesus, though, it's a lot easier, though, because, you know, because he's God. Um, you were about to say something? I wanted no, to- I wanted to say, like, going for the lost, and this is something that Francis's pontificate focuses upon, and I think it's something, again, that people, we have to stay focused on the lost. Christ left the 99 for the one. Mm-hmm. Um I think about a person that I knew growing up, this guy named Scott. He was a drug addict, and he lived lived a hard life. And I remember one morning I used to do a Bible study at church. He he looked like he was out of his mind, out all night, and he wanders into the church, and he sits down in the back of the church. And I thought to myself, you know, God loves him, and he's Mm -hmm. there. All people have to do is sit before God. My bet to anyone is sit before the blessed sacrament and simply say this, if you don't believe in God, I don't believe in you, but I want to. 
help me. Mm-hmm. The world will change. Yeah. Hearts will change. God reaches for the lost. I mean, I can't emphasize that enough. I think sometimes people, sometimes like all of us, we get caught up in our our, our small circles mm. and we get lost in the fact that God loves that guy, Scott, that person who had the abortion, that man that encouraged it. And they're no better than you mm-hmm. in the eyes of God. Joe, let's, let's, um, no, that's a, no, that's a great point. That's a great point. We have about nine minutes left. I want to get to a couple more questions. Sister, uh, just briefly, uh, talk about obviously ground being grounded in prayer and having that faith. You have a challenging job. You are the director of the, the Respect Life Office for mm-hmm. the Archdiocese of New York. Tell our listeners a little bit about what it is that you do day to day. Um, well, so just to give you a kind of a framework for that office, you know, the USCCB laid out like what these offices kind of would cover. So we, we have four criteria, prayer, um, education, pastoral work, and public policy. So, um, so it, it's fascinating, actually, actually, what comes across my desk in a, in a, in a day. I could be working on everything from promotion of a pro-life film like Roe v. Wade that just came out um, and helping, you know, organize a New York showing of that um, to maybe a couple who's struggling with infertility who reaches out and is in need of, of, of help and guidance um, to, uh, you know, the, some of the legislation and sort of the hostile situation we're hearing in New York with 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 the different bills and whatnot that we kind of have to face. You put it much more nicely than Joe and I do on our, on our podcast, but we won't get you in any trouble, sister. We We have to make you. Yes. Yes. We'd like to be. So go ahead. Go ahead. I cut you off. I'm sorry. So, so it's, it's kind of this, it's, it's a very broad position and essentially it's, it's working with all the parishes there's uh, just under 300 parishes in the archdiocese in New York. And how do we build up um, a culture of life? And how do we let people in the parishes know what's what's available to them? How do we work with the schools? We've put together a Respect Life Week curriculum for all the Catholic schools, K through 12, um, that that's instituted in the schools. Um, so there's there's a lot really that needs to happen in, in way of education. Right now, we're working with the school department actually on, you know, they recognize that our Respect Life curriculum it, it, right, it's not just abortion. It's this, this again, this idea that my life has value and meaning, like that each individual is a marvel, is a wonder, and um, and it's a, actually we have a we've developed a curriculum to to help prevent teen suicide um, mm. and awareness of that because again, it's this 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 who am I, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, by the way. Real quick, I just want yeah. to touch on that real quick to let you know. I don't know if you know, but we covered it a few weeks ago on the show. So important. I mean, we don't, we can't do anything about the the, the public schools at least yet. All right, sure. that's not your job. That's ours. Okay, but in Catholic schools, we have to do this because I, I mean, you won't be maybe you won't be aware of it. You don't have to comment on it, but I'd like our listeners to know that have teaching children that respect for life and creating yeah. that culture of life early is important because Planned Parenthood is through legislation trying yeah. to influence the public school curriculum Huge. to teach kids not to be pro-life or to be pro-abortion. So I think it's important to know that we, these are there's a reason why we do these things. Yes, the most obvious reason is that all people should respect life, but there is a part of the, the struggle here against those who are, are not supportive of life. They're trying to indoctrinate young kids in the public schools. hundred percent. Oh, absolutely. And um, yeah, I mean, and they've got a great game plan, right? I mean, <laughs> they've got quite a strategy and how to go about it. And so all the more our, our need for diligence in the way of education is huge. Um, so my work in the archdiocese, again, it, it's, it's kind of, it's very broad. I help organize the witnesses that you, that you're a part of. I know we now have five monthly witnesses in the New York area. Um, we have one, we actually have one in English, the witness that's every first Saturday at um, Planned Parenthood downtown. We have um, one at that same Planned Parenthood in Spanish every third Saturday. Mm-hmm. We have one on Staten Island. That's the fourth Saturday of the month. One in Newburgh on the third Saturday and one in the Bronx on the third Saturday. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's growing this idea of really being present at the clinics um, at which is modern day Calvary truly, um, and going there as a prayerful, peaceful presence. Um, so yeah, my, my role, again, I, I work with the public policy office. I work with the school department with education. Um, 
pastorally. Um, I'm constantly, we even got a call from a, this is great, um, a personal injury lawyer who knew of a, a client who, who was pregnant and in need of support. And he contacted us um, to help his client out. And I mean, that was just tremendous, I thought. Um, you know, that he was willing to, you know, to, to offer, offer her some support that he knew that was available. Um, so yeah, kind of, I, I could go on and on about the archdiocese and kind of what we're doing in the respect life office, but what? just to give you a window. I want to, I wanted to touch on two things, sister, you mentioned, then I want to talk yeah. a little bit about the retreats that you give for both men sure. and women in Stanford. You talked about, they have a plan. We have a better plan and it's Jesus Christ. That's right. and, and you also said, um, that when people are around you, there's something, you know, it's, it's a, you know, a grace that people, what people need to see in this society is holiness. It's, mm-hmm. it's holiness. And that comes from God. They see holiness in you. That's and that's Christ. You allow mm-hmm. Christ. And then this is what we need. Mm-hmm. You know, like you talked about Francis. Francis heard from the cross, rebuild my church. Him being an Italian, he got mortar and he got a hammer. And, and he was wrong at first, but then he figured it out. That, that's the way it goes. But he figured it out. And within 10 years, there were 5,000 Franciscans. Yeah. He changed the church. Holiness. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about retreats. Um, okay. You guys do a lot of retreats in uh, Stanford at your house. I believe it's Villa. Uh, okay. Talk a little bit about them and how could people get um, interested and or get involved. Yeah, sister, we have a. This is going to probably be the last question. I want to leave a little bit of time for you to tell our audience how they could support you. So we've got about two and a half, three minutes. Um, so just, just I can say quickly, yeah, we have a, a large retreat house that's owned by the Knights of Columbus, actually, um, but they asked us to run it more now 15 years ago. So we do retreats almost every weekend. Obviously, it's been, um, you know, hasn't been as much during COVID, but um, we do women's retreats, young women's retreats, um, men's retreats, um, prayer retreats, just focused on certain types of prayer, Ignatian prayer. And that all of that information is on our website. Um, but I think it's 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 so important to set aside time, like a time of retreat, um, where you can be alone with the Lord. And most of them all have a silent component, again, so that you can. Uh, we we have so little silence in our in our lives, and to be able to really hear the Lord, right? He is the still small voice, and so um, we speak in that way. Um, and and we you know we have this time of silence. I would just say one more thing too, kind of in response to you, Joe, about um, uh, about faith um, and kind of you had mentioned John the Baptist. He, you know, I must decrease, he must increase, which is a great prayer. I love to grab lines from the scripture to kind of use as prayer. And one of my favorites is, um, Lord, I do believe, help my unbelief. Um, and I think you could definitely say that as you go into the chapel. Um, and part of every one of our retreats is on prayer. How do you pray? And adoration is always a part of these. Uh, we have a Eucharistic healing service with music by the sisters, uh, where you actually get to be like the hemorrhaging woman and go and, and touch the tassel, the humeral veil, which holds Jesus in the monstrance, um, and, and really uh, give him everything. I've seen some powerful things on uh, on the men's retreat. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and as you're describing, the... Um, the healing, mm-hmm. uh, healing service, uh, just phenomenal. Um, and, and I don't want to get too much into it. And very quickly, sister, in about a minute or so, what do you think some of our biggest, what are some of the biggest distractions and problems uh, we have as Catholics in the modern culture? What, what do we have to, what, what are some of our distractions that keep us not focused on Christ the way we should be? Um, yeah, I guess I think just the distraction um, ourselves, right? I mean, this, this, um, John Paul II would say the greatest tragedy being suffered by modern man is like an eclipse of the sense of God and man. Essentially, we, we, we aren't focusing on God. I think that's our problem. And we're focusing on ourselves or on, um, on things, on things that will pass away, you know, that are not eternal. And I think that it's like a, it's a continual work of grace and of faith. And, and really, uh, we have to develop a habit of prayer, of turning to God over and over and over again. We I have to leave it there, sister. I'm so sure, sorry. Sure. No, you're fine. We're, we're up against that hard break, but real quick, where do people find the Sisters of Life, um, and how could they support you? Sistersoflife.org. There's information on how to volunteer and how to donate. Sistersoflife.org. 
All right. And from my own personal experience and Joe, I'm going to tell you straight up. Okay. Volunteering, maybe joining the sisters in front of an abortion clinic, volunteering at, at so let's say up at Villa or mother house or wherever it might be. Uh, there's a lot of things we could do as Catholics to help this wonderful order. Okay. And there's a lot of graces and a lot of blessings for us. So we're going to have to leave it there. Sister Virginia joy. Thank you very much for coming on the front line with Joe and Joe. And thank you all, all out there, brothers and sisters on the Veritas Catholic network, 1350 on your AM dial spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area. Please be sure to follow Joe and I on Facebook and YouTube, of course, until they shut us down, which they will, I'm sure. Um, like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff. And remember until the next time that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.